Amen. Well, this is our sixth session in our series we're calling The Authority of the Believer. For some quick review, we've learned that everything in this natural world, which we would call creation, okay, the world around us that we can see and touch and feel and so on, operates or is governed by authority. And so is the spiritual realm or spiritual world. The unseen, we could say, the things that you and I in this natural world or natural eyes cannot see that actually created everything we can see is all governed by authority. Sometimes we can look out in space and it almost seems chaotic, doesn't it? It almost seems like it's just there. But that's just from our little puny point of view. With God, it is a masterpiece. And it is organized and runs and it's an operation and it's smooth and it's, it's orchestrated. It's like math. How many of you loved math when you were a kid? Couldn't stand it? Still don't like it today. Other than to figure out where I'm at financially. <laughs> you know, how much does that cost and where am I at? I am not a math person. I remember people would say, oh, you'll never use some of the kind of maths that you would say you'd use. But I'll bet you... 10 to 1 that Jack here works on cars. He's using some math, some math that he learned without even realizing it, maybe. I I remember working with a a friend of mine who was a carpenter by trade. One day we were trying to figure out like area and some things like that, and he just took his pen. (laughs) To me, he was talking Chinese. It looked like Chinese. It could have been upside down. I would have thought it was right side up. But when it was all said and done, he said, yep, it's this, 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 this. I'm thinking, and here he was. He was actually a flunky goof-off in school. But apparently, he paid attention in this area. And, of course, doing what he did for a living for a long time, he had to understand some of these things. There is a method to everything. But when you think about the world, you think about creation, you think about the spiritual world, there is a method to the madness. There is organization there there is authority everybody say authority it's important to understand we can understand the principles of authority if you talk to somebody that's been in the military that you can get an understanding of authority and the rules that govern it when you look at the word of god we see just this standard of authority this flow throughout the word of god and everything in the natural world and in the spirit world is governed by authority. There is a clear... I'll give you an example. How many of you think it's right to pick on a president that you might not care for It's in office? You know, call them names and pick on them and so on. Now, I notice no one is saying anything right now, but I'll bet you in your personal life you have a few choice words for this one or that one that you might not want to admit to here, but... But the reality is, even if it's somebody that I don't care for, it does not give me the right to badmouth them. Jesus told us what? To love everyone. He didn't say we got to, oh, if they're in government, they don't count. They're evil anyway. I mean, no one can work in government and live for the Lord. And so, and, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is we think we have a right because we vote and we put our two cents in that way that we can say whatever we want to say. In fact, I've actually heard people say, don't you critique anybody unless you voted. 
You voting does not give you a right to critique. It's like we can, we can look at the fruits. Remember how I said we can be a fruit inspector? I, I can't pick on you and I can't tell what's in your heart, but I can look at the fruit your life produces. Well, it's the same thing with that kind of thing. I can't pick on the individual. I don't know what's in their heart. I don't know what's going on. But I can look at the fruit they produce. And I can look at that and make a decision. Nope, don't want you in office anymore. I don't like what you're producing. You get what I'm saying? But we don't have a right to just mouth off. We don't have a right to just say whatever we want to say. And, and, and basically make fun of them. And call them stupid. And this and that. Now, let me put this down to where the Bible comes to life we have so picked up on this habit that we can say what we want in america we've taken that freedom thing a little too far do you agree with me we've taken it too far to where we can say whatever we want about anything that's not the freedom of speech that's not what our forefathers had in mind what they meant was is that you don't have to form to some form You know, you don't have to, you can have the religion you desire. You can honor God your way, so to speak. In other words, you don't have to be told what to do and such like that. But we've taken the freedom of speech thing and we've just, they use it to to cover pornography under freedom of speech. You can't tell me what I can say or, or what I can do with my life, so to speak, in that regard. And that's just a messed up, perverted way of looking at it. How many agree with me? I mean, that's just not right. But, and so we don't throw the baby out the bathwater. Sometimes we have to just live with some of the bad we see. And that doesn't mean I agree with it, but so I don't lose the good rights I do want. You understand what I'm saying? Why? We live in a fallen world. It's messed up, and we just have to live with the fact that some things aren't perfect. How many would agree? But it doesn't give us the right to badmouth authority at all, at all, at all. Everybody say at all even if they've done you wrong. You, you, don't, you don't have a right to say, that's stupid. Man, that boss is such an idiot. I'm telling you what. I mean, if his head wasn't screwed on, he'd leave it at home. Blah, 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 blah. Because you don't like them and you have a right to freedom of speech. Now, let me give you an idea of authority in the spirit realm. I want everybody paying attention here because this is important. Jesus never one time called Satan, that stupid idiot moron. What did he call him? A prince. The prince of this world. Remember when he said, the prince of this world is coming for me, but he'll find nothing in me. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus recognized Satan's authority. And I know some of you are like, that, whoa, that is not something I've ever thought about. He recognized his authority. He was in authority. And I mean, don't get me wrong, is Satan wrong on all counts? (laughs) Bad wrong. I mean, wrong, 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 wrong. But he never ripped on authority. Jesus was held, smacked around by the very people he created. The very ones he came to save. And he wouldn't open his mouth, the Bible says. He wouldn't say a bad word about any of them. Think about that. Did Jesus respect authority? God so respects authority 
that he gave man dominion knowing that Adam could blow it. And he gave man dominion with no strings attached. No strings attached. Think about that. How much does God respect authority? Amazing amount. Amazing amount. And that's something that we need to grab a hold of. Okay, Authority means a lot to God. It means a lot to him. So as we looked at last week, or the last couple of weeks, again, everything is governed by authority. The power behind authority is released through words. God created everything we saw through words. So authority was released by the power of those words. Mankind, you and I, are made in His image. And we operate the same way. We release authority through words. Now authority, we looked at last week, is delegated power. That's what authority is, delegated power. Jesus delegated His authority to you and I. It's ours to use. Jesus said that all authority, how many believe all means all, right? There's nothing left. If it's all, that means he has it all. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. So what did he do? He had authority and he delegated that authority to you and I. In Mark 16, he said, go in my name. So when someone goes in someone else's name, what do they carry with them? They carry the name and the authority of the person that sent them, right? I mean, an ambassador sent to someone on the other side of the world represents our nation. So when that ambassador speaks, it's as if our nation is speaking. That's how important that is. And so we need to understand that that delegated authority, that delegated power through that authority is ours. Now, We looked at authority is delegated power, and in this case, whose power? God's power. Limitless power. God's power. There is no limit, no boundaries to his power. God's power is backing up the authority of Jesus in which he gave to us. So how you need to think about it is all of heaven is backing up the authority you have in that name. That is powerful, guys. Extremely powerful. Now, again, what we looked at is, again, God's power is backing up the authority Jesus gave us. And last week we kind of emphasized, you don't need to turn here, but 1 John 4, 4. Remember that we are God's children and have overcome them because. Everybody say because. The, The whole thing comes back to because of Jesus because of his authority his authority is my authority because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world all authority has been given to him and so it all comes back to if somebody asked you well uh how because (laughs) of Jesus because Jesus is victorious because all authority has been given to him therefore it's all backing me up Remember we said this, and it's very important. We need to hear this over and over. Jesus' victory over the devil, over sin, over death, is our victory. His victory is our victory. That is how you need to see it. You were victorious in Him. And the more you see that, the more bold you'll get. And you won't let the devil walk all over your life. We are in Christ. We are one 
with Christ in God. We are one with Him. Actually, we are one with God in Christ. We are one with Him. There's no separation. Remember, He is the head and we are the body. Can you separate the head from the body? What happens if you do? Death. Now, Jesus can't die. He can't be defeated. Remember? How can we not be? We can't be. So the fact is, though, that we are one with him. You cannot separate me from Jesus and Jesus from me. It's not possible. If you did, you'd kill us both. Think about it for a minute. You can't separate the head from the body. We are one with him. When he was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead, the Bible says. We are in him or one with him in Christ. So therefore, the place of authority where Jesus is physically right now at the Father's right hand is where you and I are. The Word of God says in Ephesians that we are seated with Him in heavenly places. That's how you need to see your your life. Not from down here looking up, but from up here looking down. Well, what does the earth look like from heaven? Well, jelly bean, man. I mean, that's, that's the earth. What I'm trying to say is I'm looking down at the earth. This is where I belong in the throne room. I'm looking down at the earth. I'm not overcome because of Jesus. Amen? And because of Jesus, I'm here seated with him in heavenly places. Now, he still needs me on the earth to do some work, but that doesn't mean I'm not with him. You can't separate us. I'm one with him. He's in me doing a work through me here, and I'm with him doing a work with him up there. You can't separate the two of us. He's given directions. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's working with us. We're partners with God. Say it with me. I'm a partner of Jesus. You're working with him. We're co-laborers, the Bible says, with God. Co-laborers. He needs you and you need him. You're working together. Amen. He's leading. He's providing the power. But you've got to do the talking. <laughs> you've got to obey. You've got to walk by faith and trust Him. Praise God. Now, we looked at last week, how much power is there in this authority? How far does it go? And you might remember, if you want to write down Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth. How far does that power go? How far does it stretch? Well, we looked at this. If it says, of those in heaven, what does it mean? Of those beings in heaven. So we could say of those beings in heaven, of those beings on earth, and of those beings under the earth. So in other words, our authority delegated by the Lord Jesus to use His name extends to beings in heaven, on earth, and in hell. Man, I tell you guys, that is vast. That is broad. I mean, that is... Remember, the Bible says, whatever we would permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Whatever we would forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. In other words, what that means is we have a tremendous amount of authority. Tremendous amount of authority. And sometimes we're just acting like wheatlings in the corner. We have no idea of the potential that is ours in the name of Jesus. And of course, we're not doing any of these things to glorify ourselves. We want to glorify God. Our living in victory, guys, is giving glory to Him. That's what we want in our life. Now, 
everything is under the name of Jesus. And that name, again, is ours to use. So let's look at, real quickly, our authority over evil. Okay, Go with me to Mark chapter 16. We could say our authority over Satan. Mark chapter 16, and let's look at verses 15 through 18. I'll give you a second to get there. Mark 16. Now this is Jesus' directive to the body of Christ, to the church. Matthew records that all authority, remember, on heaven and earth is given to him. Go therefore. And then this is Mark's version of this. Okay, something else that he said. And Mark wrote this down. And he said to them in verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, I, for just a moment, something that kind of was just on my heart. Look at verse 16 again. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. What is a believer? What does a believer do? Well, You've heard me say this. A believer what? Believes. But what is believing from a Bible standpoint? What is believing? What you just said and what you just said. Doing the word. In other words, a believer acts on what they believe. See, a lot of people believe a lot of things. Remember how... You could say, well, I believe in God. There's a lot of people that say, I have, I have great faith. I'm a man of faith. You might have talked to somebody sometime. Maybe you tried to witness to them and they kind of slowed you down. Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a faith man myself. I, be, I have a lot of faith. You know, and you could be talking to someone, but in the conversation, it's not faith like we are taught to walk by faith. It is, well, I believe in God and I, I really do believe in God. Well, congratulations. The devil does too. That's what the Bible says. Well, we'll be ding-dong. You believe in God. That isn't going to help you any. What do you got to believe? His Word. That He's faithful to His Word. That His Word is everything. That it is the Word of His power that is holding this whole universe together. The Bible says that the world that we're on right now, everything around it is held together by the power of His Word, or the Word of His power. And so I'm believing in his word, therefore I do what? I act on his word. I do something with his word. So let's, let's read that again, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized. Now what do people do when they're baptized? They acted on something, didn't they? They believed the word and then they acted on it, will be saved. But he who does not believe will be saved. Condemned, though the other one says, I just don't believe any of it. I don't want to believe it. I choose not to believe it. And that's the end of it. And they're condemned. Verse 17. And these signs, this is what I want you to get. And these signs, everybody say signs. Signs will follow those who believe. Everybody say believe. Notice, signs are following them. They're following them, those who believe. Now, what do believers do? Be believers believe the Word of God and do it. 
They heard it and they do something with it. That's what a believer is. I really felt the Lord wanted me to get that across because sometimes people can think, well, I'm a believer. I believe in the Lord. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, you believe in the Lord, but I'm talking about I believe His Word. I believe what He tells me, and I do something with it. I do something. I act on it. So believers, when somebody says, I'm believing God, what do they mean? I'm acting on His Word. I'm doing something with it. These signs will follow those believe. Can someone say, I believe, brother? I believe. Can someone do that? Well, I believe in God. Do you think signs are following this person? You get what I'm saying? Who are signs following? Those who are believing the word and doing what God said. What did he say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So they're doing it. They're going around telling people about Jesus. They're praying for people. They're looking for opportunities. They're, they're acting on the word. And so as they do that, what happens? The signs are following them. There's a path behind them that says, look at what they've done. <laughs> In other words, these things are behind them. So ask yourself, how many signs are following you? You guys all said you're believers. Everybody say, oh, me. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is what we need to do is say, you know what, guys? You guys have had more of these things behind you than you realize. I'm not trying to figuratively slap you around here and say, man, you made me feel bad. I mean, no. You need to ask yourself, though, am I consistently seeing signs follow me? Because that's what the Word says. And I believe the Word. I'm a believer, after all. And so I believe the Word. And if Jesus said these signs will follow those who believe, if those who are doing my Word, then what should we see behind us? Signs. Signs. Now, what are those signs? Well, let's look and see. He says here, in my name, whose name? His name. Amen. Not your name, not your great works, not what you believe, not how well you speak. It says, in my name, in my name, in my name, say in his name. So I'm doing works in his name. I'm acting on his name. And it says, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, are these signs? Should we see these things happen? Now, that doesn't mean we're getting into snake handling here. That's weirdos. Okay, everybody say weirdos. That's what, thank you. That's what they are. These guys are snaking them. They're idiots, okay? They're just gambling to die. Because the Lord didn't say one word about snake handling. What he's talking about is, while you're believing, what is a believer? Somebody who's out there what? Doing the word. He's out there, I'm in the middle of obeying the Lord. I'm believing. I'm in the middle of it, and I go to help someone, and when I reach down... A snake bites me in the middle of me believing, being a believer. In the middle of me doing what? What Jesus told me to do. And I got bit by a snake trying to help someone. Maybe I was helped cleaning their yard. I'm being a believer. I'm being helpful. I'm loving on someone. I'm trying to reach them for the Lord. So I was helping them. And I reached down into some leaves and that thing latched on me and bit me. And it was a poisonous one. 
Now, this is where the word goes into action. Here's the sign. What does it say? It says that they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly or poison, it will not, what? Hurt them. Remember, you remember Paul? Remember when he was shipwrecked? I think it was Malta or something like that. I could be wrong on on the island. But he's out there on this island, and this island is filled with poisonous snakes. I'm the kind that kill you in like minutes. You die. And so he's out there. They, you know, they all, these guys get saved because of Paul. And they get out in the island. And he's trying to put a fire together. Probably while the rest of them think, we're all going to die. And he, Paul's like, oh, shut up. And, and he's putting a fire together. And while he puts the fire together, the Bible says a venom bites him. Now this snake was so deadly that the natives were all waiting for Paul to die. <laughs> I mean, just dunk. It's over with. And Paul just shook it off, and he kept on working. And the natives were like, what kind of God is he? Why isn't he dead like the rest of us? We know this, this thing will kill you. And so they wanted to worship Paul. And Paul's like, ah, da, 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 da. <laughs> I am no God. And he begins to share with them about Jesus and about the way and believers and so on. But what was Paul guilty of doing at the moment? He was what? He was being a believer. And signs were following. Are you guys getting this? Signs were following him as he was being a believer, as he's doing it. So, so it says if we drink anything deadly. And it was not on purpose, but by accident. Well, dear Lord, you can go out to eat with a friend and get poisoned, right? No one tried to kill you, you know what I'm saying? It just was an accident. Or somebody not taking care of things or feeding you the wrong things. So do I have to fear, if I'm busy about the kingdom of God, if I'm busy about my father's business, and what he told me, if I'm believing, if I'm, I'm a believer and I'm acting on his word, do I need to be concerned about getting sick and dying? No, I don't. No, I don't. No siree. So if I go to some foreign country, everybody's like, I don't want to drink that. Can that kill me? Not if I believe the word of God. So these are the signs that follow them. They're following behind them. Amen? And so what do I need to get here? Now, do you really think that the Bible says, and they will take up serpents, but spiders are a different story? What is it essentially saying? That if we accidentally get poisoned by something, something foreign that would seek to harm you, that's what the Bible's saying. It won't kill you. In fact, to be honest, I think most of the time you just shake it off and it'd be the end of it. There's been many times in my life I thought something was going to happen while I was doing something for the Lord and nothing ever happened. I'm just doing what I know to do. Amen? Now, notice here, though, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. These are all signs that follow believers. Not apostles. Didn't say that, did it? It said believers. Say, I'm a believer. These signs follow you if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now, if you're a, a rebellious believer which is an oxymoron there, because you're not really believing if you're rebellious. Am I right? I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus, but I'm doing all these things wrong, even though I know they're wrong. That makes no sense. But let's just say you're just dumb, (laughs) and you're just doing stupid things. You know, Thank God for the mercy of God 
know what I'm saying? And praise God for mercy in my life. You know, I don't take credit for the things that the Lord has said. You know, my wisdom has saved me. I don't think so. You know, sometimes I'm as dumb as a rock. I wonder what the Lord's thinking. You know, where did I miss it with him? Did I drop him on his head? What's going on with him? But the reality is, is that if we're following the Lord, if we're believing and we're doing these things, then we're okay. You've got nothing to be concerned about. I want you to write this down. Okay, you ready? There is great grace in obedience. There's great grace. Or, there's, or let me say it this way. Let's write it this way. There's lots of room for error in obedience. There's lots of room for error in obedience. Now, what do I mean there? What am I, what am I saying? I'm saying that if you are genuinely serving God, honoring Him, and you are really, you're doing your, your, your best, you might make a doofus decision. You might do something stupid, but there's great room for error in obedience. Now, you can't say, well, well, God knows my heart. He knows your heart one way or the other. You can't snow God. He can look at you and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a little extra grace there. Even though he messed up, you understand what I'm saying? Remember that story I told you about Brother Copeland and the prophecy that one time I told you I heard from him? He went beyond God and the prophecy. And the Lord got on his case and corrected him. But, but what I'm saying is he was generally obedient and he made an error. And so God gave him grace in that area. And so we need to understand this great, great room for error in obedience. But it, again, it needs to be God judging you obedient. Don't just go out and do something stupid. I've heard this preached. Just go out and just live on the edge and, and create tragedy so God can use you to, to get it done. You're a fool if you do that. Wouldn't you say someone's a fool who played on the edge of a cliff? You hear about those, those people who take selfies and they go so close to the edge they end up going over? I imagine they have a regret immediately. Dear Lord, why did you talk? You know, and that's the end. Their whole life is over because of one dumb decision to get too close. I'm like this. In fact, if I were probably at the Grand Canyon and it was a big old drop, even if it was a rail, I'd probably... I mean, I'm going to want to look out, but I'm not one of these guys. Hey, let's get in the other edge and hold on. I'm not that way. In fact, I'd probably be so conscious, I'd lay down on my belly and crawl over the edge so just my face is over. <laughs> so the rest of my body weight would hold me down no matter what happened. That's just be me. But my point is, don't play with these things. You know what I'm saying? But understand this, and this is what the Scripture is telling us. Look again at verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. What was the very first thing he told us? What was the very first sign that would follow us? The first sign listed is authority over the devil. The very first sign of the believer. You have authority over the devil. Now listen, you can't have authority over demons without having authority over Satan. Why? Authority. God does not go around authority. He will not do it. He won't do it, I promise you. He won't do it. He won't do it. He won't just skirt around someone. I promise you this, I'm authority in this church. And as long as I'm doing right and walking right, God will not skirt authority. He won't talk to you and say, Pastor, I have a word of direction for you without first talking to me. 
Now, you might have an encouraging word that lines up with what he put in my heart, but he's not going to skirt around me. You know what I'm saying? It'd be like me preaching and someone saying, I got a word and I can't hold it, and I'm right in the middle of preaching. Now, wait a minute now. If I'm operating by the Holy Spirit and ministering, and I'm the authority in the room, and you operate by the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit confused and doesn't know what to do? Think about it. The Holy Spirit's not going to interrupt himself. What I would say is, young man, just sit down, and at the end of the service or when we have direction from the Lord, then we'll give you that opportunity. There's a time and a place for everything. But what I'm saying is when somebody interrupts or does something rude like that in the middle of a service, that's not the Lord. The Holy Spirit's not going to interrupt the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? That, that would be crazy. What it is is that guy's flesh is out of control. He might have a genuine word from the Lord. His flesh is just, i got to do it now. You ever have that? i got to do it now. I have to have it now. You'll do stupid things when you give in to that. Always remember, the Spirit is subject to the prophet. God will never make you do anything. Did you guys hear what I just said? The Spirit is subjection to the prophet, meaning that the Holy Spirit, no matter how much he wants to do something, can't go past me if I won't let him. Now, he can turn around and use someone else that's willing, but he won't make me do anything. So anybody to say, the devil made me do it, is a big, fat liar. Because the devil can't make you do anything. And certainly God's far more powerful than the devil. And he won't make you do anything. Amen? I just gave you a great lesson right there that not forget. All right, so we see here that because of what Jesus said here as a believer, that we have authority over Satan. Amen? We have authority. If we have authority over Satan, this is very important. If we have authority over Satan, who is top dog so to speak he is the prince or the what we could call him the prince of darkness i mean he is the top leader in the spirit realm of darkness that means what that means i have authority over all the works of darkness you understand that and that's the point why did jesus defeat the devil to stop his works and he can't do anything anymore all of his works, sickness, disease, poverty, strife, you just interject any kind of evil, twisted thing you can think of, bad thing, and they're all names, aren't they? And they're all subject to the name of Jesus. But if I have authority over Satan, I have authority over every work of darkness. It doesn't matter what it is. Everything. Everybody say everything. I want to look at... We've been kind of calling the title of this Exercising Authority. And I want to look at a believer in action in the Bible. Okay, I want you to actually see something really happening. And so go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 real quick. Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at authority in action by actual believers. And this is a good illustration so you understand what you have. In Acts chapter 3, let's begin with verse 1. This is the beginning of the church age, you know, maybe a couple, three years old, possibly at this point. And Peter and John were going to prayer meeting about three in the afternoon here. So starting with verse three, Acts chapter three, verse three. I'm sorry, verse one. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon. And apparently they do this all the time. It was a habit they had. 
And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So apparently, it's not the first time Peter and John have seen this guy. Every day, this lame man was laid down there at the entrance to the temple. And so people would give to him and and so on and so forth and help him out. And so the people were used to seeing them. Verse 3, this time he asked for alms from those entering the temple. In verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms like he had done all the time. And verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him. So Peter focuses on on the man with John. And Peter said, look at us. So what was he saying? Pay attention to me. Look at me. Forget everything else that's going on. Look at me. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Well, if he says, look at us, what would the guy trying to get the alms all the time think? They're going to do something for me, right? So he's got his attention. He's focused on them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Listen to me, guys. They didn't have ATMs back in there. So they weren't broke, but they just didn't happen to have any cash on them at the moment. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Now stop right there. What I do have, say it with me, what I do have I give you. So he's saying, I possess something. And I am going to use it to help you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you a gift. I possess something, and I'm going to give you a gift. We all have this. Peter and John are not special. They were just walking in this situation, and this time the Spirit of God prompts them. Something goes a step further. Because they've seen the guy many times. So is it important to be led by the Spirit? Listen to this. We can pray for anybody. But in this case, we see something really supernatural happening along with it. But again, they were led. Peter, something, look at me. You know, look at us. So he says here in verse 6, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now look what he did. He says this. How do we release authority? With words. Now, do you have the name of Jesus just as much as Peter and John? Just as much as they have. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And look at verse 7. He took him by the right hand. So Peter apparently put out his arm, picked him up by the right hand. And the Bible says this. Look carefully. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. In other words, he's beginning to pull him a little bit, and immediately, look at your Bible, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. That didn't mean the guy could walk yet. But power was released when Peter grabbed his arm and made a step of faith, and the man did not resist that step of faith. Remember, what is faith? An action and the, the man kind of followed Peter. He was expecting. And the power of God's going into action when we see him beginning to pick him up. 
And it would see, took him by the right hand, lifted him up, so he's up maybe a little bit, and immediately then his feet and his ankle bones received strength. In other words, this guy knows something's going on. Something's happening to me. And look what it says in verse 8. So he, everybody say, so he. So he. He was not walking yet. I want you guys to get this because we can see, wow, look what God did. Well, God did his part in that he got all the way to the point that strength was beginning to form in his feet. And he could tell maybe he could feel something he never felt before. And energy began to surge. But he still had to do his part. So he leaping up. In other words, all of a sudden he said, I'm going with it. And he just leaps up. And the Bible says, He walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. You could get the idea from reading that, wow, wasn't that awesome what Peter did? Now, what did Peter do? Peter did his part. Is he the healer? No. Now, who has authority, though? So Peter has authority, and what did he say in his authority? This man wanted something. He was in a receptive mode. You get what I'm saying? Look at me. Pay attention. The guy's expecting something to happen. Now, that's probably not what he was expecting. He was probably expecting, ooh, he's going to give me a big one today. You know, big offering. No. But he had him in this receptive mode, and when he said, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus, that power released in those words, and when he grabbed him, again, Faith is in action. He began to pull him. Peter knew the power of God will go to work, but will this man respond? Now let me give an example. As Brother Hagen tells a story one time where there was, I believe it was a woman. I could be wrong. And I, I don't remember every little detail, but I remember the, the general idea of the story that people, he had a prayer line and people were being healed, set free. Some of them maybe that couldn't walk right, could walk right and all kinds of good things. And it was a lady sitting in her wheelchair And she's in that wheelchair, and I guess maybe they moved her forward. And the power of God, remember where the word says that the power of the Lord was present to heal? There's a scripture. The power of the Lord was present to heal. In other words, the people would have just drawn on it. It was there to heal them. Well, supernaturally, he knew that the power of the Lord was present to heal. So he told the woman to rise up and walk. And he, he went ahead and grabbed her, and the Spirit of God practically picked her up supernaturally on the chair. Off the chair! She's floating over the chair. And you know what she did? Oh, put me down, put me down, I can't walk! Put me down, I can't walk! And she went down and just, presence of God, it was done. He might have tried more than once, and she wouldn't do it. Now what is that? What would you call that person? not believing now she might be a believer in jesus but she's not a believer when it comes to the word of god and god was helping her out just like he did with this man but the man still had to do his part now this guy got excited (laughs) he's like when he felt the power of god like that being left like being helped he just like i'm going with it the bible says he leaped up And so what he did was when he felt that power, he didn't fight it at all. He just went with it, and instantly, faith is in action. Instantly, the power of God went through, and he was totally whole, just like that. 
But he still had his part. He could have rejected it like that woman did. No, 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 put me down. I can't walk. I can't be walking. So she didn't believe the word. She didn't act on it. Are you guys seeing this? Can you be a believer who doesn't believe? Yeah. You can believe in God, but not believe he's the healer. Y'all get what I'm saying? There's a lot of people say, I have great faith. I'm a believer, are you? Well, then if you are, I would see you excited about the word because I know all of it's coming to pass. I'm expecting. I'm expecting when I give. It's coming back to me, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Give me another opportunity, preacher, to give. Because I'm expecting because I believe it. I believe it. You don't understand what I'm saying? I believe I reap what I sow. Give me another opportunity. And I know that if the Word of God says that if I'll sow big, what does it say? That I'll reap big. If I sow bountifully, if I'll go over and above and beyond, how is it going to come back to me? And see, everybody says, oh, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> do you see that? If you're a believer, what do you do? Whoa, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity because I'm believing. I'm expecting. I know. And guess what? Signs will follow you. Whatever you're believing. Whatever you're doing. (laughs) Everybody say, faith pleases God. Faith in what? In his word. How do you have faith in his word? Somebody says, I have faith in his word. Don't you tell me I don't have faith in his word. Not if you're not doing it, you don't. Well, uh, you can believe it without Oh, you got me there, preacher. How can I believe it without doing it? I don't really believe it. I don't really believe it. Boy, why has the Lord got us on here? I don't know. Amen? God wants us to be successful. That's why. Amen? Can I give you one more? All right, let me me wrap this part up. I want you to notice again, Peter said what? What I do have, I give you. So Peter had possession of the name of Jesus... And there's authority in that name. And he used it to help someone else. Same is available to you. Do you think God's any weaker now than he was then with Peter? No. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same power is available today. In fact, we know more than they know. A lot more. Now, there's something else. All of heaven is backing you up again when you exercise that authority in the name of Jesus. But I want you to notice one more thing. I want you to notice that Peter did not pray for this man. Did he pray? Not at all. Not at all. What did he do? There was no prayer involved. You see, Jesus never told us to pray about the devil. He never told us to pray about when we're going to deal with something and use his name like that. When we're dealing with something, uh, what did he say? For example, if we're dealing with the devil, what did he say? He said, cast him out. He didn't say pray. I don't say, oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, will you take care of that big bad devil? He'll say, I already did, son. You're missing the boat. I gave you that name. I gave you that authority. Now go out and use it. He ain't going to do it for you. Oh, Lord, there's a tornado coming right at us. Dear Lord, don't you love me? Won't you save me? And you're going to die right in the middle of it if you don't open your mouth and say in the name of Jesus go the other direction. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, when we're dealing with the devil, 
when we're dealing with that authority, we're not necessarily praying. Now, there is a time to pray. We're asking God for something, right? We're asking the Father in the name of Jesus for something. But it's different when you're, well, how is authority issued? It is spoken. Do this. Make that happen. Make it so in Jesus' name. I'm going to give you one more thing real fast. Go with me to Acts 19 really, really quick. I just want to fit this in. I want you to understand, we've been talking about what? We've been talking about the authority of the believer, right? Everybody say believer. So we know the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. An unbeliever doesn't believe, doesn't act on the Word of God. A believer does. Well, how many of you believe that Satan knows who's a believer and who's not? I want you to think about that for a moment. And how many understand that this authority that we have in Christ is extended only to the body of Christ? It is extended only to those who are born again. A new creation in Christ Jesus. You must be in the family of God in Christ to use His name. You have to be. Otherwise, it's going to backfire big time. And let me show you an example real quick. Acts 19, and let's look at verse 11. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. So he could have sometimes a piece of cloth on him, or they would cut a piece of cloth, and the anointing on him would be so saturated that they could put that on a sick person, which I've done that. You could put it on a sick person, and that anointing was transferable through that cloth into that person, and it healed that person. Just like if, if you were touching them. You made contact with them. Or an evil spirit would leave. I remember a woman a long time ago, she was having lots of problems with her husband and, or between the two of them and their challenges. So we prayed and agreed, and we, we cut some things out that we had on us. I got an agreement. I said, put it in your pillows, but don't tell him. I mean, just stick it in his pillow. And things changed over time. Things got different. I'm telling you guys, does the word work? Amen? Now, look at verse 13. So we see Paul, you know, these amazing things were happening. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant, in other words, traveling Jewish exorcists, so apparently they had exorcisms on a consistent basis and these guys were jewish exorcists that traveled for a living took it upon themselves now look at took it upon themselves to call the name of the lord jesus over those who had evil spirits saying we exercise you by the jesus whom paul preaches notice that now who are these people they're unbelievers They're not in the family of God, guys. They are not born again. They are not in Christ. And they're saying, they're seeing Paul do some amazing things in the name of Jesus. So they're like, hey, I know what we'll do. Basically, it's very religious. It wasn't personal. And they said, hey, we'll exercise these demons out of someone demon-possessed by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, I want you to notice, verse 14, there were seven sons of Sceva, This guy was a Jewish chief priest, and these seven sons went around, and they were trying to exercise demons out of people. And look what it says. In verse 15, they did this. In verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, 
And Paul, I know, but who are you? Can you imagine that being said to you through a demon? See, now that wouldn't be the case with you and I. Why? You're a born-again child of God. He knows who you are. I want you to understand, he knows who you are. Why? Listen, he must honor spiritual authority. He has to. He has no choice. That means he can recognize who's born again and who's not. Where are you born again? In your spirit. What is, this? What is Satan? A spirit being. He can see another spirit being. Just as plain as day. So this demon, this evil spirit, says, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? And look what it says here. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered seven full-grown men. One man with a demon. And he overpowers them, prevails against them, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You think they regretted doing that? Now, what is, what is the point here? That it is believer's authority only. You cannot be an unbeliever, not be, in other words, outside of Christ and exercise the name of Jesus. won't work. It won't work. In fact, it'll backfire big time on you. And so we need to understand it's believer's authority only. So what I'm encouraging you is exercise your authority in the name of Jesus. If you don't do it, it won't get done. Don't sit around waiting for God to do it. He's not going to do it for you. Well, my kids got big enough. You know what I taught them? You make your bed. I'm not making it for you. Dear Lord, what, what, am, what kind of kid am I going to have at 16 and can't make their own bed? Right? Well, the fact is, God's no different. Now, when you're a baby Christian and you don't know any better and you're not taught these things, the Lord will help you. He'll work with you. Amen? Is he hard and calloused or is he a loving Heavenly Father? full of grace and mercy. But when you start to learn this, now what are you accountable to? You're accountable to walk in what you know. And now you know. (laughs) And some of you have known. The fact is, though, you don't go praying to God about the devil. You deal with the devil like you would a bully, like you would a dog in your backyard. You don't go, God, get rid of this dog. What would you do? You get a big old stick and beat that dog till it gets out of your yard. Well, get the big old stick of the name of Jesus and get to work. And I'm telling you guys, it'll work. It'll work. I mean, you need to understand, again, the spirit world is real. It's so real that right now in this room, there are angels all over the place. I know there's at least one with every one of you that came. At at the very least, there's one. That's not including the the ones that the Lord just set over our property and over the ministry, over this body. Then the ones just in general available when I call on his name. But see, we we tell the devil, no, 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 no. We plead the blood of Jesus over this property. You've got to sit on the other side of the street. It's real, guys. It's real. I remember one time, well, I've had this happen more than once. It's been a long time. But I remember one time my wife and I, Uh, She was pregnant with our second one. There were several women in the church where we were part of that probably about two to three, I think it was three, in a very short period of time that lost their baby. They were pregnant. There was a lot of the women pregnant at the same time. They used to think it was in the water, water fountain. That was the joke running in the church. We had about, you know, a couple hundred people, and there was a lot of women pregnant at the same time. There were probably 
in about a nine-month period, I, probably about 15, 20 women that were pregnant. But there was a period of time there where a couple of them had not made it. And the devil was telling me, yours is going to die. Yours is going to die. And he's telling me this over and over. And I'm not talking it. I know better. I'm not saying anything. But it's bugging me. And I'm not saying anything. My wife, come to find out after like a month of this, a month of being hassled, we're, we're sitting, I still remember the Saturday night. We're sitting one Saturday night, just sitting up in the bed. It was kind of early and just talking. And she, you know, she's, she's about seven months pregnant, just struggling to get into bed. And, and we're just sitting there. And, and I, I, I admitted to her, Lisa, I got to tell you something. It's been driving me crazy. And I, I need you to group me in prayer. You know, this, I'm done with this. I am tired. Of, she says, it's been happening to you too. And I, we weren't the only ones. It was just, just the, the devil just trying to, what, what does he want us to do? Get us talking negative, get us saying negative things, and so on and so forth. And so I got so mad. I guess it was one thing, you mess with me, devil, but don't you mess with my pregnant wife. I was mad. And see, that's how you got to get sometimes, angry, angry. I wouldn't let some man come in my house and just take my wife. Would you? Even my wife. You touch one of my kids when they were little like that at home, Mama Bear is going to tear you to pieces. I mean, or die trying. Is she going to kill you? I mean, if you touch one of my kids. When you understand this authority, I was teed off. And I said, that's it. That's it. And that devil, I'm sure he was cowering in the corner right then because he knew it's over with. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you foul demonic lion devil in jesus name and i took authority over that and i said you follow me right now and i said march and i walked down the hall and i walked all the way down to the end of the door and i opened that door and i said you get out and you never come back in jesus name that was the end of it went to sleep like a baby never had a thought again (laughs) does it work i've done that same thing with peace If if i sensed in the house constant strife no, you couldn't say anything right if you wanted to. You ever been in a place like that? If I say up, they say down. If I say black, they say white. It's like there was this constant presence of strife in the house. And with the kids, it was like it was tension in the house. That's not the way the house should be. It should be a place of peace. Amen and grace. And so I, I realized then the Lord dealt with me that you got something hanging around the house. And so what I did was I just cleaned out every room, walked in every room, and Jesus' name touched the walls as I was walking around anointing them. And then I did the exact same thing, got out the front door, and I said, every single one of you demonic things that have been hanging around, in the name of Jesus, you come right now, you leave out this door, and you don't come back in Jesus' name. And you, you might say, well, come on. Well, let me give you a, a quick, you want to hear a quick story? Are you okay? Everybody okay? The, Brother Hagen tells a story, and, and I, I really like this one. Because it will illustrate to you. I got one more too that will go with it. But this will bless you because it will help you understand that this spirit realm is real. These things are real. It's not just your imagination sometimes. It is something real. Remember, what does the devil want to do in your life? Steal, kill, and destroy. And he's ceaseless at it. He's merciless at it. Well, there's this story where this preacher had Brother Hagen, who was an awesome preacher at his church a couple times but he was he would be in his church and he said i would get behind the pulpit be so fired up by the spirit of god just so fired up and i get up there every time behind the pulpit and it would just be like 
I got sand in my mouth. It was like water was just poured over everybody and everything. And it was like people loved me and I loved the people, but it was like every time I got behind the pulpit, it was And he was like, it wasn't always that way. But he just didn't, so he would pray more. He'd spend more time with the Lord. He would get in the Word of God more. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not connecting with everybody. And every single time, he would have the same problem over and over. Finally, one day, he just got sick and tired of it and just went before the Lord and just fasted and prayed and said, Lord, I need guidance. I need direction. What is going on? What is the problem with this thing? I'm fine up until I get behind the pulpit. Well, one day the Lord opened his eyes. He had an open vision. The Spirit of God basically opened his spiritual eyes where he could see. He was sitting there praying, and the Lord opened his eyes. And above the pulpit, way up, this was an older church, you know, and they had big wooden rafters above everything. You couldn't see it. But way above those rafters, there was a demon. He said it looked kind of like a gorilla-looking form. And it was right above the pulpit. And it was sitting there kind of laughing, disturbing things. In the spirit realm, it was causing confusion. It was causing disarray. It was causing problems communicating and challenging. Remember, he was fine until he got near the pulpit. And everything would just, you know. And the people probably thought, well, you know, pastor's doing his best. Well, anyway, it was a spiritual problem. He saw that, and he looked at that, and he knew that's the problem. And so he looked at that and said, you'll have to go. And the thing looked at him, I don't want to go. I don't want, and held on tighter to the rafters. I don't want to go. And he said, you're going to have to go in the name of Jesus. And that thing dropped on the floor. Like I said, some sort of little monkey-looking, gorilla-looking thing. So the thing is down, and he said, I told you, you have to go. And so it would move a little step, but look back, I'm kind of like a sad face. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And it's moving a little forward, then it stopped. And he said, I told you to go in the name of Jesus. And he said that thing would go a little bit further and turn around. I don't want to go like this sad, don't make me go type thing. You'd almost feel sorry for it, that evil little imp. And so he finally said, go in the name of Jesus. And that thing opened the door. In other words, the door is open now. Now, why did it do that? Who knows? But it did. He had to do this all the way until he got to the outside of the church. Because the thing just kept on going. Get out of here in Jesus' name. Finally, they got outside. And he told the thing, you cannot stay here. You have to go in the name of Jesus. So it crossed the street. No farther. Go away in Jesus' name and don't come back. Finally, the thing went down and he watched it walk down the street. Just follow the road. And he watched it go into a bar. You know, one of those bars where everything is blacked out. That night, the bar burned down. Are these things real? It's real, guys. Don't make fun of these things. But remember, who has authority? I don't have to be afraid. I'm telling you what, this stuff is real, guys. It's not fake. It's not fake. But I got nothing to fear. I say these things not to to, to put fear in you, to realize, wait a minute now. Recognize who you are. Amen? 
The Lion of Judah lives inside me. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And all that authority has been given to me in the name of Jesus. I'll not fear. And anytime fear tries to come near me in any form, I don't care if it's fear of finances, fear of I won't have enough, fear about my children, you deal with it on the spot. And say, fear, I will not allow you to operate in any area of my life in Jesus' name. None whatsoever. Why? Because faith and fear are opposite forces. You know what fear is? Fear is faith in a perverted form. That's what it is. It's faith in what the devil said. So you're either going to be a believer and act on the word and do what you know to do, or what? Don't believe and don't act and don't be in faith and be overcome. Amen? Did you get anything out of this? All these bonus points I gave you, but I'm going to stop right there, okay? I, I, uh, praise God. Aren't you glad you came?